I wish so badly that I could invite the Apostle Paul to be a guest preacher here. You would be so impressed by that guy. I know that you would because he was an incredible human being. He was a devoted follower of God his whole life. And he demonstrates that even through what he shares with the church at Philippi in his letter to them, which we read from this morning. You see, Paul was someone who knew how to devote himself to a particular thing of importance, and he moved consistently through that practices so that he would have the full righteousness of following the law. He says this in the beginning of the portion that we read here this morning. He's talking to the people in Philippi because they have not seen him in a little while, and this young little church which is in what is now modern-day Greece, had other people traveling through their town, telling them what they should do to be devoted followers of Jesus. Some of them were Judaizers and espoused the belief that people needed to become Jewish in order to follow Jesus, even encouraging people, men, to be circumcised in order that they might be devoted followers of Jesus. Paul had an issue with this expectation. He and Peter differed significantly on this matter. And thus, Peter stayed in Jerusalem and spoke to the Jewish people there about following Christ. And Paul set out across the bottom of what is now Europe to share with people what it meant to follow Jesus. He gives his credentials as to why they should prioritize listening to him over those that are passing through and expecting such horrible things on the behalf of those that wish to follow Jesus. Paul reminds us that he has been Jewish from birth, not a convert. He has been Jewish from his very birth, his entire life, a part of the tribe of Benjamin. You see, there were 12 tribes of Israel. Benjamin was thought to be one of the favorite sons of Jacob and was one of the tribes that stayed loyal to the house of David when there was fighting among the tribes during one part of the Jewish history. So Paul is making the point that he is by birth a part of the Jewish people and he has remained faithful even through his inheritance. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews. There is a purity that you can't argue with. He speaks the language of the Hebrew people, which fewer and fewer people did at that time. He was a Pharisee. Pharisees were a sect of Judaism that were faithful to keeping the law. And they did it out of a devotion to following God. They encouraged all people to keep the law to the highest standards, as priests were expected to, because they had a conviction that all people were holy and should live as those that were deemed holy among the Jewish people, like priests. So they encouraged all people to keep the law. Paul was full of zeal for keeping the law, so much so that he persecuted the church at its very infancy. And he possessed the privilege of being righteous through the keeping of the law. These are his credentials. But he considers them rubbish now. Garbage. Waste. We might wonder, what is it? What promise is it that you have received that would make you consider this as rubbish? 
Paul says, there is no promise. It's what has already been done for me. In fact, in the translation as we read it, he talks about it being rubbish. But that's a nice, genteel translation of the actual Greek word. The Greek word that he uses is often translated as excrement. That which is left over after the body takes all that it needs. Waste. Paul is saying that in his experience of knowing Christ, everything has changed for him. That has no longer any value because of the value that he's received in knowing Christ. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. That hymn is just a little over a hundred years old, but it is Paul's song. And it shows the activeness of the verbs. He is found. He now does see. You can read about this experience for Paul in the seventh chapter of Acts, when he, out of his zeal and fervor, is persecuting the church. He has an official paper from the Jewish leaders to go out and to find those that are distorting the faith by following Jesus. And in the seventh chapter of Acts, he is present at the stoning of Stephen. That's our patron saint, the first martyr. As people are throwing stones at Stephen, they go and they lay their coats down at the feet of Saul. That was the name that he was known by. And empowered by what he witnessed there, he went and got another letter from the Jewish leader so that he might go to Damascus and go from house to house to rid those homes of anyone who was distorting the Jewish faith. He set out. And it was on his way to Damascus that something happened. A bright light that blinded him. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he knew that it was Christ. This changed everything for him. He was blind for three days. Those that were with him heard the voice, took him to a place where he could get better. And while he was at a home, the Spirit sent word to one of the followers of Jesus to go and to speak to this man named Saul. You can read about it in the ninth chapter of Acts. And that person says to God, I don't want to go. I've heard about this guy. He has been sanctioned to find people and to persecute them, even unto death. But as you see in the ninth chapter of Acts, this man does go to meet with Saul. And Saul, his eyes open, and he can see again, and nothing is the same. I once was blind, but now I see. This has changed everything for him. And he is showing us in the reading that we had today, that he's written to the church in Philippi, that this is God's doing. God saved him. The, now the credential that he has, that he loves more than anything, he didn't even earn. It was something that God gave to him out of God's grace and love. This was something that was picked up by the reformers of Christianity in the 1600s. 
It was an issue that Luther took up with the Roman Church. Because there were so many specific rules to keeping the faith, Luther, in his 95 Thesis, took issue with, well, 95 of them. And pointed out that he was convicted and certain that it was God who saved, not us by our own actions. It's God that does this work. That Reformed theology has manifested itself in the Lutheran Church, in the Calvinistic tradition of Christianity, of Protestantism, in the Presbyterian Church, the Congregational Church, the Reformed Church, and all of those denominations, you will hear it emphasized again and again that God saves us, not by something that we did. It's God's work. We as Episcopalians have a slightly different angle on that truth. As Episcopalians, we say it's a both and. Yes, God does do it, and we are asked to live as if it does rely upon us. It's a both and. Paul makes that point here in his letter to the church at Philippi because he presses on to make it his own, even though he will never make it his own because God has made him his own. He does it out of the love that has been made known to him. That's why he does it all the more fully, devoting himself to following Christ, living a life that reflects that. It's because of what has already been done, not because of a promise, but because of a reality. Paul knows in his life the salvation of God's grace and love, and nothing can change that. It has changed everything for him. The people in Philippi know this because Paul was the one that brought them this good news. When you look in the book of Acts in chapter 16, you hear about his journey to Philippi, this first journey. It was a main trade route in the Roman Empire. And Paul stopped by with Silas and they went from house to house telling people about who Jesus was and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. As you read in the 16th chapter of Acts, there was a young slave girl who had the spirit of divination. She was a fortune teller, and she followed them around as they went from house to house and kept proclaiming, these two worship the God of the Most High. And Paul became annoyed with this constant tagging along and proclamation. He commanded the spirit to leave her, and it did. She no longer had the ability to tell fortunes. Well, this angered the people who owned her, this young girl. And they, taking issue with the fact that Paul had messed with their property, took Paul and Silas before the magistrate and pointed out the crime that they had committed. Paul and Silas were stripped, they were beaten, and they were imprisoned in the darkest part of the prison. Paul and Silas kept one another company and kept the faith alive, singing hymns and proclaiming the goodness of God to one another. And during their time in prison, an earthquake happened, and the doors of the prisons were open, even breaking the shackles that bound them. Well, when the guard realized that the doors were open to the prison, he realized what was likely to have happened and that if Paul and Silas had escaped, it would be his life that would be up for execution. He runs to the tomb, 
And Paul calls out, don't worry, we're here. That guard was so moved by what he heard and saw in Paul and Silas that he became a believer in Jesus and a follower of the way. Paul has had his life changed and realized that as he submits himself to God's will, everything changes, not only for him, but for others around him. The good news becomes good news for all people, not just for him. And he won't shut up about that. He has been so transformed that he has to take it out and to share it with the world. This is what he reminds us of in his letter to the Philippians. And we are encouraged to do the same. I have long shared in my time of leadership here that I encourage you to keep spiritual practices. But I want to clarify, it's not because I think they're what will get you into heaven. It's not because I'm trying to make you holy. That's not my job. I want you to keep spiritual practices because that is the way in which God can move in your life and in the lives of others. Doing as Paul instructs us to lives of prayer and devotion enables God to find fertile ground among us and for our lives to be transformed. Thanks be to God for loving us so much that he has faith in us and that his faith in us is what saves us. May we be reminded that it is God's love that empowers us to take the good news into the world. And as we do that, the good news will be known to us and to the whole world around us. Thanks be to God. Amen.